Well, it is super good to be here. I think David preached last. <laughs> I'm not quite that tall. Um, but it's really good to be here. Again, uh, as Blake introduced me, uh, my name is John. I'm the Center Church Campus Pastor. And if you are kind of new, even within the last six months to our church or to Frontline, um, you may not even know who I am, and that's totally fine. Uh, the Center Church is a church down in Byron Center, just 30 minutes down the road from you, uh, partnering together with you to see Zero Lives Unchanged. Same vision and mission, um, just in a different context. And so thanks for those of you who pray and support us. Um, we just couldn't do it without a church like Frontline. And so I'm very grateful to share God's word with you. And this morning, again, I don't know all of you, uh, but I know that we all share exactly one thing, at least one thing in common. Every single one of us, and maybe you wouldn't admit this, or maybe you're trying to kick this uh, habit, if you will, but every single one of us loves a good meal. Now, some of you, I know for sure, some of you eat to live, and others of you live to eat. Now, I'm in the second camp. I don't know if you are. If you're a live-to-eat person, just throw your hands up. Restaurants are the best thing ever created. Thank you very much. All right. The rest of you, you'll come around. Like, you'll figure it out eventually. Um, but I love food. And uh, my love for food directly contrasts with my need to have a healthy body. I don't know if yours does. Uh, but I recently stumbled across an article that listed the top eight highest calorie foods. And this made me a little bit sad because I've had some of these, okay? I don't know if you've had these, but I'm just gonna list them off and don't shame the person next to you if they've had them or if they suggested to go here for lunch right after this service. The number one highest calorie food is at Texas Roadhouse, which those rolls, I mean, come on, like aren't those heavenly? Those shouldn't have calories. Like God made those rolls. Come on, what are you doing? So God made them, but if you get the 16-ounce prime rib, loaded sweet potato, and a Caesar salad, you're around 2,800 calories for one meal. Shame on you, Texas Roadhouse, and I've, I've been there before. The second one, uh, one that we don't have in Grand Rapids, but if you've traveled around the country or maybe been to Detroit recently, you've been to the Cheesecake Factory, which just, again, I think God just had a vested interest in making a restaurant, and he called it the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, but they have a dish there called the Pasta Napolitana, which essentially is a meat lover's pizza with more cheese and more meat and then add it into a pasta bed. And that will get you around 2,300 calories. So a little bit better than Texas Roadhouse. The third one is one that's pretty common, and maybe you've had this, is add chilies, right? The neighborhood staple, like chilies and Applebee's constantly, just everywhere you go in America, you can find one of those. But chilies has the ultimate smokehouse combo, which are, is around 2,440 calories. I'm hungry. I don't know about you, but I don't want one of those. Like, it is so funny to me uh, how easy it is to fill your body with unhealthy things. I don't know, again, if you've had that experience. And I remember back in my college days, I'd eat some things that the next morning I was like, I am such an idiot. Like, why did I eat that at 2 a.m.? I feel awful. And somehow I was smart enough to line up all my classes at 8 a.m. for every semester. And so never was my stomach in a good place by 8 a.m. every single morning I had class. We fill our body with unhealthy things, but it's not just food that often traps our body in unhealthy patterns or unhealthy relationships. We know what it's like to fill our bodies with things like envy 
and with hate and with anxiety and with fear and with worry. And there's one common thing that all of us have experienced that's caused some unhealthy conflict in our life. All of us have been victims or even perpetrators of this dangerous yet loaded and profound word called gossip. We know what it's like to be on the other end of someone's divisive, hurtful, cutting, backbiting words to us. And often that takes place in the form of gossip, an incredibly unhealthy thing that often we allow to permeate our lives without even really taking a second glance. See, most of these restaurants, maybe by now, but when they first hit the menu, none of them have the calorie count. And for good reason, it's like, that sounds good. I'm going to eat that. And you don't really know the effect it has on your body until you get the cold, hard statistic like we just read. But often for us, gossip doesn't just come in the way of we're intentionally trying to hurt someone. Gossip comes in all sorts of subversive forms. Things like, I need to share a concern with you. And then it becomes gossip. Or you've been in a prayer environment and prayer requests somehow turn into like just airing everyone's dirty laundry, all the latest stuff you found out about people. Maybe you've seen gossip in your workplace, people leveraging confidential information to gain a position or to gain power. And gossip all the time, anytime you see it, ends up having a negative and unhealthy effect. See, friends, if you look at the scriptures long enough, you'll see one common theme about gossip. This word that when we talk about crash and relationships colliding often is a common factor is that every time it pops up in the scriptures, gossip destroys relationships. Gossip destroys relationships. Again, maybe you've been on the receiving end of this. Maybe you've been the one speaking these things. But the key is to remember that gossip and leveraging confidential information for your gain, taking your problems to someone who can do nothing about them, often has unhealthy effects in every one of our lives. And not just on the external. If you dug into our own soul, you'd see that many of us, because of gossip, have taken a passive approach to conflict saying I'm gonna avoid it at all costs rather than engage it and redeem it and make it better, make our relationship better, I'm going to run away. I'm going to escape, I'm gonna take the easy route. And sometimes gossip has led to broken trust in your relationships. Sometimes it's resulted in a, a lost friendship or a broken marriage or a divorce or a kid being estranged for years, maybe even decades because of hurtful words, because of a simple conversation that should not have happened. And the question is for us today, when you look at this series called Crash, is when a crash occurs, when a a broken relationship occurs, how do we go about avoiding unhealthy conflict? Notice I didn't say conflict because the scriptures don't point to conflict as the problem when it comes to relationships. Actually, uh, I was just talking to someone before service who's been married for multiple years. And I was kind of just joking around with them. And I said, you've probably learned how to deal with conflict in a really positive and beneficial way. In fact, the best marriages that you observe have gone through some incredibly difficult conflicts. But the difference is they became healthy versus staying unhealthy. The people work together to speak honestly and to seek understanding and to to look out for the best. See, conflict isn't bad, but being bad at conflict is. 
And Nate Regeer is a clinical psychologist, uses this definition. I think it's helpful to reframe for us what the word conflict really means. See, this is what he says. Conflict is the gap between what we want, our desire for a relationship, the gap between what we want and what we're currently experiencing. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that gap is bad, but how we handle the gap and how we live and navigate and love people in the midst of that gap makes the difference. And so when it comes to the crashes in your life, they don't have to be unhealthy. Conflict doesn't have to be something you dread or avoid or go to every workshop to try to figure out, how do I just get rid of it in my life? See, actually, relationships need more conflict. And if they were done well, it would actually build stronger marriages and stronger families and stronger friendships. And so as we dive into God's word, we've been in this letter to the Ephesians, a young church that Paul the apostle, who if you're familiar with the New Testament, you've read. I mean, he's a terrorist turned Christian disciple and church planter. And it's incredible what God does through Paul's life. But in Ephesians 4, he's writing to a church that has the potential to lose their relationships, to, to kind of drift into unhealthy conflict and lose the most precious thing that God says the church can have and it's unity. In the beginning verses of Ephesians 4, we read that Paul instructs the Christians, not arbitrarily, but seriously instructs them to love people so well that they remain one. That when outsiders come into their gatherings, they're like, what is going on with these people? They love each other. They have a bond of peace together. They're one in the Holy Spirit. They are united and, and not just in agreement with one another, but actually of the same accord. They have the same ethos among them. They have the same attitude among them. And so that is the kind of people Paul's writing to. And I'm gonna invite you to turn in your Bibles right now or grab a device that you can take notes with or read the scriptures to Ephesians 4, verse 29. Because we're gonna jump to the end of this chapter and look at someone, Paul, who's instructing a church many of us could relate to. I mean, conflict all over the place, a, a changing culture, a political climate that was countercultural to the Christian message. And you look at that, and this is what Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Instead, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. There's a couple clues here that are important for us when it comes to navigating conflict. The first one is in verse 29. The thing that you probably read, and maybe you already have it highlighted or circled or underlined. If you don't, I'm going to encourage you as your friend and pastor to do that. Because in verse 29, here's what we read. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only, only. Don't let any and don't let words that tear others down even escape your lips. Now, now, for us, that's probably hard to even imagine a world in which that's possible, right? Even for you, if you said, no, I've made some progress in my, my spiritual journey and I feel like I'm a little bit better at my words and a little bit better at relationships, even you, there's probably moments or specific people 
or coworkers or employers that you just find yourself drifting into not helpful building up words. I might be the only one. And I work at a church. So I'm just, I'm just saying, like, maybe, maybe I'm the only one in the room that struggles with that, but chances are pretty high that you have too. But Paul is not saying, hey, make sure you have a good balance between good words and you're sinful, so you're probably going to let a couple escape. No, he says don't let any and only speak what's useful for other people and actually builds other people up. See, this is the beauty of the scriptures. They don't underestimate the power of God within us. Every single scripture actually believes everything that's there. And the writers believe that even the Ephesian church and even us can only speak words that build one another up and only uh, are useful for the benefit of not even ourselves, but other people. See, gossip is not beneficial to other people if you've caught that. Gossip is only really when we share in gossip is actually something that we think is gonna be useful for us. It's a self-centered way of interacting in relationships. It's a selfish mindset that says, if I do this, the conflict will somehow get better or the person's gonna respect me more or the person I'm sharing this confidential information will think highly of me or think more respective of me. I mean, all kinds of lies that we tell ourselves when it comes to gossip. I wanna ask you this question before we keep going in the text. What would your life look like in two years if you only spoke words that were helpful and beneficial to other people? What kind of environment would be present in your home? If the only words you made a pact with your family or your spouse or your kids to say, for this season, we are only going to speak words that are beneficial and bring life into our home rather than death or condemnation or even gossip. What would your workplace look like if you're a boss in the room? What would your workplace look like if you established a zero tolerance gossip policy and said, we're only going to allow things that benefit other people to be out of our mouth? The emails we send are going to be beneficial to other people. The in-room kind of kitchen conversation, even among executives, is only going to be things that will build up our employees and make us a better team and a better environment, just a better place to work. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You're delusional. <laughs> you don't know my home. You don't know where I work. You don't know the kind of environment that I'm in regularly throughout the week. And you're right, I don't. But Paul didn't either. He didn't know the intricacy of every single Ephesians family. But what he believed was that through the power of the Holy Spirit, your home can be different. Your family can be different. Your marriage can be transformed and your workplace and your school can be changed by the power of words, by the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. But he adds some meat to this statement. If you continue on in the scriptures, look with me in verse 30, listen to what Paul says. After saying, don't let any unwholesome and only what's helpful, he says this, and do not grieve, another negative, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. What is Paul saying there? And what does that have to do with our words and whether or not we choose to participate in the cycle of gossip? Paul is saying it's not just a human offense to gossip and to tear others down. There's actually a spiritual component to it, that the Holy Spirit of God is moved emotionally when you and I don't choose to resist gossip, 
Let that sit with you just for five seconds. That the God who loves you and created you is actually hurt when our words are not used to build others up and our words are not used to bring benefit to those who are receiving them. A little bit about my own story when it comes to this reminds me of when I first became a Christian. Around a decade ago, I had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And as we sing and as we worship, even every single Sunday that I get to share God's word, I'm reminded of the last decade of how God has changed my heart. Because before, I was consumed with pride. I was consumed with performance and making sure other people thought highly of me. And so it was a natural thing for me to participate in gossip because what I did to build myself up was actually to tear others down. And so whether that came out in sarcasm or, or jokes about them or straight up criticism and tearing them down, I would sit in services maybe like you have and not think about, man, what is God saying to me? I'd think about, man, he could have said that better or he could have sang that better. Or man, these chairs are weird. Why'd they pick this color? Or don't they see that coffee stain on the carpet? I sit here every week and no one's cleaned it up. Or you just go through all these very, very petty things that don't have any eternal significance. And that's what I would do. My mind was not bent to be encouraging or building up. It was actually quite the opposite. And once I had a life encounter with Jesus, a real transforming uh, encounter with him, my words didn't change right away and neither did my thoughts right away. And so before I was a Christian, I didn't think anything nice or encouraging, and I definitely didn't say anything nice and encouraging. Can anyone relate to that pre-Christ in your life? Okay. And so as, you, as I kind of learned of Christ and I started to follow him closely, uh, I began to think nice things about people. I began to think encouraging things about people, but I wouldn't say them. I, I thought them. And I was like, man, this is different. Like instead of criticizing or tearing other people down mentally, I, I was starting to think nice things. Now that didn't translate to what I would actually say because there was a battle on my mind. The scriptures talk about that there's a need for every single one of us to take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. And I hadn't really learned what that meant. I hadn't really understood what that meant. And I noticed something over the last couple years. Now, you just do the math. I followed Jesus for a decade. I'm talking about the last one or two years specifically. There's been a difference in me that is supernatural. And I don't say that to kind of point to myself and say, man, what a great guy John is. But it's literally been a work of the Holy Spirit in me that I went from not saying or thinking anything nice about people to at least thinking nice things about people to beginning to know what it means, the power of my words to say those things about people, to encourage people eyeball to eyeball, to share things that are actually building one, another's, one other up. And, and sure, I, I wrestle with that still. Gossip is still a very real temptation for me, even today. And there are relationships that I've torched because of my words. But I'm committing with you maybe today to not let that be the case any longer. And gossip really, when you think about it, is kind of wanting to take a shortcut to resolving conflict. Because for many of us, conflict in our home or our family of origin was not a healthy thing. And it wasn't modeled positively. I mean, maybe that looked like physical abuse in your home, or maybe that looked like extreme cases of verbal abuse, or maybe that looked like some intense passive aggression that you're like, I don't really know what you want me to do, but you look mad. I don't, I don't know what you're saying to me. 
And as you look at all those different things, gossip is one of the shortcuts we try to take to resolve conflict. See, instead of going to that person, I say, man, if I talk about it with enough other people, they're probably going to figure out that I'm mad at them. They'll probably come to me. <laughs> that never happens. Some of you are laughing because you're like, that doesn't work. Like, you know, that doesn't work. And other times you say, well, if I, if I gossip about them, somehow in the, the cosmos, they'll figure out I'm mad at them. And again, it'll just kind of resolve itself. And there'll be some kind of magic that takes place in our relationship and they're going to come to me apologetic. Again, that just doesn't happen. See, I think it's helpful to think about it this way. Gossip is a dead end that feels like an exit ramp. When you're on the highway of conflict and you notice, oh my goodness, there's a crash coming up. You're like, I better do something. I don't know what I'm going to do, but gossip sounds like a good option. So I'm going to veer off. I'm going to take an exit ramp. And you get to the end of that ramp and there's nothing left. It's just a dead end. And many of us never understand that even for years. That gossip is a dead end that feels, it tricks us into thinking that we're building allies in conflict. And when I share it with you, that together we're going to gang up on that person that's clearly in the wrong. And gossip is going to help me accomplish that. It's going to be kind of like an exit ramp so I can resolve conflict quickly when really it's a dead end because I haven't done anything but multiply the unhealthy conflict. I've shared it with someone who really probably can't do anything about it. And if they're a good friend, they're going to say, wait, 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 wait. You don't, you don't need to share this with me. You need to go to that person right now. So you don't talk to others about your problems. Talk to the people you have a problem with. And that's why gossip is so pervasive in our culture. It's so normal and so natural for us is because we feel like it's going to get us off the highway when really it's a complete dead end. And here's the scary truth in this scripture. And here's what Paul brings up as you keep going. In verse 31, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. And gossip certainly fits into multiple categories right there. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgive each other. And here's the scary truth that maybe you don't know about conflict yet, or maybe no one has told you yet, is that if you are willing to gossip, you are willing to be gossiped about. If you're willing to gossip and participate in that detrimental cycle, the unhealthy nature of words that tear others down versus building them up, my friends, you may not know it yet, but you're willing to be gossiped about. And that is a scary truth. And that's why Paul instructs us, don't just get rid of those things. Don't just put off the old self. Don't just kind of shed off the old nature. Don't kind of stop doing the things that you always did. Me and, Mc, me and McDonald's in college would be a good example. Like, stop eating McDonald's. I had to replace it, though, with something else. You can't just get rid of those things. You can't just throw off slander and throw off gossip and just have a void and expect it to be filled with good things or good words or encouraging words. Instead, you have to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Don't just get rid of those things, put on new things. Don't just get rid of words that tear down others. Don't just stop sending hateful emails. Don't just stop texting people about your problems and gossiping and participating in that vicious cycle, but put on something new. Start encouraging, 
Be kind. Think about what a compassionate person do in this conflict and do that. Think about the things that bring about healthy conflict in your life. And Paul reminds us of our core need when it comes to conflict. Remember forgiveness. Paul points to Christ. and doesn't just say you should resolve conflict because that's a great idea. It is a great idea, but it's not enough. He's saying, don't just resolve conflict. Don't just learn how to have healthy and productive conflict in your relationships, but remember the cross. Remember that Christ, out of your desperate need for grace, stepped in and resolved your conflict spiritually. The problem that you had that you couldn't shake, the kind of mind and attitude that you had before surrendering your life to Christ, and the kind of person that you were before Christ forgave you. Remember that. Don't ever lose sight of that. And that's how gossip, resisting gossip rather, points us to Jesus. Because gossip is not just harmful words, it's ultimately diminishing the other person's image. It's tearing down the kind of person that God has created them to be. It's pointing out that the image of God in the other person is not as valuable as it is within you. And none of us would actually say that, but we do that. We diminish God's image in other people when we participate in the cycle of gossip. I'm reminded of this because a couple weeks ago, Lindsay and I were at a function and uh, we were doing something for work and I put on that shirt, which I kind of like right now. I, I was a big fan of the, the light denim shirt. It, was, it fit really well. You have shirts like that. You just, they're the go-to. And you think about, man, did I wear this to work already? I really like this shirt. I'm going to wear it again twice in one week. This is a perfect example of that shirt. But she pointed out something to me that if you're a clothes person, you already saw there's a massive white stain on that shirt that I did not know was there. And I swear I did not buy it with the stain because some of you are like, come on, man, you got to look closer. But I didn't. I incurred that stain in some way, some form. I'm not sure how I did, but I kept wearing the shirt. And Lindsay, every single time, would say, John, you can't wear that shirt. I'm like, but it fits so good. It's so nice. It's even a little bit warm. Like, it's perfect. It's all the things I want in a nice dress shirt but it's got a massive white stain across it. And think about your relationships like those nice shirts or the shirt you got in your closet that you really love. Every time you gossip, it's like spraying another thing of stain on the shirt. Again and again for other people and even for yourself. See, I, I wore that shirt for the first couple of times thinking no one else sees that white stain on my shirt. And you, if you interacted with me during that time, you saw it. People at work probably saw it. My, my friends and even maybe my family who I wore it around, they saw it, but I didn't see it. I didn't catch it or I at least didn't think it's a big deal. And that's often how I view gossip. That's not that big of a deal. It's just one little stain. And even if I gossip about someone else, it's just like, it's one little stain. It's not ruining the whole shirt. But finally, Lindsay said, you got to hang up the shirt. Like you're not wearing that shirt anymore. And I was like, okay, I don't know how I just did that. You're like, okay, you can't wear the shirt anymore. And so I hung it up, but took a picture to share with you because that's often how we view gossip. And Jesus defined the truth and words as setting people free, as breaking off the chains. Because here's what you know. You don't need other people to put you down because you probably do a good job of putting yourself down already. And that's my story too. 
I didn't need other people to gossip about me or share hurtful words or find out what they had said because I already wrestled with my own identity. I already wrestled with my own worth and inherent value. I didn't need other people to do that. And Jesus defined the truth as setting people free. Friends, are your words today setting people free? Are you resisting gossip enough to where you can actually build up and encourage and share things that are beneficial for other people? Because gossip destroys relationships and it must be resisted. And that's kind of how you start. Maybe you're saying, okay, I believe you. I understand that gossip is an unhealthy way to resolve conflict. And so what I'm going to do is I want to figure out what's my next step? How do I live it out? And that's as simple as I can make it. The scriptures talk about fleeing from temptation or resisting gossip. And that's what you've got to do. If you're taking notes and you want to know, how do I do this this week? That's as simple as I can make it. Resist gossip, not run from it because you're gonna to have to actively fight it. It's, it's gonna chase you. It has got really good running shoes. Like it's gonna follow you. And every work conversation has the potential to drift into it. You're going to have to resist conflict if you believe that it does destroy relationships. See, some of you may not even be convinced that it does. And some of you may be questioning, why does scripture speak so strongly, so, so adamantly that you got to get rid of that kind of talk? Well, ultimately, it points back to what Ephesians 4, 1, 2, 3, 4 says. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Peace, unity, oneness are all broken by gossip, by words that tear down other people. And so if you plan this week to resist gossip, here's a really nuts and bolts, simple way you can do it. And the scriptures actually talk about this in Ephesians as well as other places. If if you want to write this down, you should. Next time you think something encouraging, say it. Next time you think something that might build up some other person, just take the risk. Say it. Share it with them. If you're in a meeting and someone does something that you're like, man, that was good. Like that was smart. That person really thought about this. Have you ever taken that person aside and said that to them? Do you know the potential as a person who is full of the Holy Spirit of God that you have to influence other people's lives? If you think something encouraging, just say it. Maybe you're a teacher or you work in childcare and you've got a kid that, man, they just exhibit so much maturity and so much grace and so much love and compassion and respect for other teachers or other people in the building. What if you built into that kid encouragement and words of life and words that brought him up or brought her up? What if your church, Frontline, what if our community became a place where every single Sunday you walked in and someone encouraged you? Maybe even small things like, man, you look good today. And man, that, you look like you've been working out. And you can lie like that. You could lie if, if they haven't. I mean, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe, but I mean, seriously, if you think something encouraging or something that would build someone else up, just say it. Even if you followed Christ for a long time, you may think encouraging things like I did, but it doesn't ever escape your lips. And Proverbs talks again and again about the power of what comes out of our mouth. And we, along with the Holy Spirit, can change people 
We can transform their own view of even themselves by choosing to not just resist gossip, but every time we think of something encouraging or building up, we can just say it, to become a place where we say it. You may think, when you look at Ephesians 4, maybe you've been thinking about your own life and your own family, your own workplace. There's a lot at stake here. I hope you understand that. There's a lot at stake when it comes to resisting gossip because every single one of us, maybe tonight, maybe this week, maybe this month, or even throughout the next year, are going to experience opportunities to gossip and opportunities to join in other people's tearing one another down and to join in unhealthy conflict. But church, we're not going to do that. We're going to resist gossip because we aren't going to waste the most precious conversations and most precious relationships of our life because we chose to gossip or participate in the cycle of tearing others down. We're not going to erode our trust by doing that. We're not going to lose our marriage. We're not going to, to sacrifice our best relationships because we chose to participate in incredibly damaging words. Proverbs 26.20 points us to this, and I wanna close by us reading this together. And so if you will, read with me from Proverbs 26.20 out of the NIV. This is what it says. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, quarrel dies down. Without wood, a fire goes out. If you camped any time in your life or got a fireplace, you get that first part. But without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. An unhealthy conflict seems to just go away. And you've got to work to seek to understand. You've got to do the hard work of saying, okay, I'm acknowledging right here that there's a gap between what I want, and what I'm currently experiencing, but I believe that gossip destroys relationships. And so I'm going to resist it. And when I think encouraging things, I'm going to say them. I'm going to bring out the best in others. I'm going to preserve the truth. I'm going to redeem conflict. And friends, like Paul, I believe that's possible for us too because I've seen it and I've tasted it and I want more of it. I wanna experience more of God. I wanna have a daily reminder in my soul and even in my relationships that God has forgiven me and transformed me and changed my life. I need that because I walk into a world just like you do. Tonight, Monday morning at work in which everything in our culture pushes me the other way and says, it doesn't matter what you say. As long as you're not physically hurting someone, you can say kind of whatever you want. And whether that's behind a computer screen or a phone screen or in a meeting or in a hallway conversation after a meeting, we're just gonna choose to resist it because we don't believe that gossip has to be the only way out that harmful words are not the way to resolve conflict, but we're gonna to work together in our best relationships to bring out the best in others by resisting gossip. What I'd love to do as we close is just to pray because for all of us, our words have incredible impact. And often the thing we misuse the most every single day are our words. And so we need the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts. We need God's love and his present forgiveness in us to be at work among us so that we actually can steward and manage our best relationships. And I wanna pray to that end. So I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes as we prepare to pray together. 
And again, I don't know all of you super well. I don't know every single one of your unique stories and maybe the, the sins or the patterns that you find yourself drifting towards when it comes to conflict. But I would love to pray specifically for the people today that know that their words have been damaging and hurtful and maybe tank some relationships. Maybe it was gossip or something else. And if that's you with no one else looking around, but in the quietness and the stillness of this moment, I'm gonna invite you just to throw your hand up real quick and put it right back down. Cause I wanna pray specifically for you. If that's you, just throw your hand up. Yep. Wow. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need to understand the depth of your forgiveness in us so that we can truly encourage and build up those around us. God, help us to use words that actually build others up, that encourage others, that we would fight off and resist gossip with every ounce of our being and with your power actually see that become a reality. Because God, we need you in our most precious relationships and the most difficult conflicts. God, we don't wanna waste it. We want to redeem it. So we need your help. So we come before you surrendered and open to what you want to say, even now to us. We pray that in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand as we close this morning.